Hey there, folks. Good afternoon. It's Tuesday, for those of you who don't know, around 1 p.m. Eastern, and I'm Thomas Wasson. This is a special edition of Loaded and Rolling. We normally have a table. We have no table today. We have chairs because we have a special guest, and the topic for today is going to be freight journalism. Uh, you know, working in media, talking about media. Very lucky for us, we have a person who was in media and still is in media with us. So, Joining us now, without further ado, is going to be FreightWave's very own Sydney Edwards. And for those of you who do not know, Sydney is not only the author of The Cold Chain, uh, you know, Running on Ice, the show as well as the community, but additionally, she's a journalist for quite a long time. And so, very super excited to have you on. Thanks, thanks for coming. Hey, thank it's you such- so much for being on. I'm excited. It's my first time on Loaded and Rolling. This is a cool edition, the table. <laughs> uh, but, you know, kind of diving in. Talking about journalism and for folks who are unaware, how does it start out? Do you just go to school for it or do you just decide right. on it? So the fun thing about uh, me and working with Thomas is that he finds everything in the world fascinating and also has an affinity for journalism. And when we first started talking, when we first started working together, there were all these, he had all these questions, you know, how how does everything work? The inner stylings of being a journalist, being a news reporter is what I was before. And uh, it was fun just to really tell him, you know, exactly how it's done. And he was always so interested. So jumping into journalism. Yes, absolutely. Most cases, you need a degree. Uh, For me, my degree is I have a communications degree focused in broadcasting, broadcast journalism. And so, you know, that's all the news writing classes, how to work cameras, um, you know, properly talking, and talking with your hands, or, or more so not talking with your hands, right? <laughs> That's half the battle is, is, is the hand control. And I think it was a great point you brought about uh, a lot of us coming from the supply chain and logistics do not have a media background. Right. And so finding out like, even right now on camera, how do you talk? What do I do with my hands? How do I sit? You know, these things are so important that uh, I think it's important to have on a show someone who knows what they're doing and, you know, give us all an insight into like what goes into it. And that kind of leads into the next question here. We're kicking old school with the paper here, of course, for those of you on the podcast. Um, looking at, you, you get your degree in journalism, you apply for jobs, and then uh, how does that work? Do you just apply for a, a, a large variety of places? Do you pick a small station, a large one? What's kind of the strategy behind that? So, of course, unless you've already got a friend, a family member in the business, the typical route is applying to as many jobs as possible, as many titles as possible, anything that you can potentially get your hands on just for one person to say yes. So when I graduated college, my first round of applications, I applied to 85 places. Holy cow. And I only ever heard back from two. It was one in Kearney, Nebraska, and then another one in, it was in Texas. And I'm trying to think of Amarillo, Texas. It was in Amarillo, Texas. And of course, after conversations, um, and I think this actually leads to another one of our questions on here, but I decided to go with Kearney, Nebraska. Had never been there before, but that's usually how the route is. You know, journalists out of college, they don't necessarily know where to go or exactly what they're doing quite yet. And so they basically take wherever they can go. And, you know, every station is numbered. We have all sorts of markets. There's 200 and some markets. And so, of course, the closer you are to number one is the better you are. And so that's the goal is to, you know, move up and out, find a station you like, find a city you like, and a market number that works for you. 
and looking into the market game and stuff, a lot of folks, you know, you think of the large ones, New York, Philly, Chicago, LA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for folks unfamiliar, when you look at your local news and you wonder, why are there so many random reporters I don't remember? Is that part of the strategy involved where you're trying to find the right fit? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. When you are working in news, you know, most journalists are under contract. Most reporters have a contract. And so you either stay for that contract or some have the opportunity to move up and out within the company so much so. So uh, most stations have a parent company who owns, you know, more stations throughout the United States. That was actually the case for me. I was able to move from Kearney, Nebraska to here in Chattanooga, Tennessee under my parent company. And so when viewers, listeners, all the above, they say, oh, there's another new reporter. There's another new journalist on TV. That's somebody else I haven't, you know, recognized yet. It is because they are moving up and out, trying to, you know, get the bigger, better job or find a different market that they that they vibe with. Yeah. And looking at contracts. So this is like a contract to where you're specifically, are you tied into the parent company to allow mm-hmm. you to move? Or is it like you're at this station for this long and you can't do anything until then? It's basically you are stuck at that. I don't mean to say stuck, but you are at that station under contract, specifically in that city. And, you know, of course, the parent company ultimately owns your contract. And so if you are to move the way that it worked, you know, for me is you apply, you end up having to apply again for an open station that you see somewhere else. And, you know, if things work out the way that they normally do in an application and interviewing process, then you can move on up and basically restart your contract all over again in most cases. How many years do you get on a contract? Is it one, three military contract or is it a little shorter? (laughs) (laughs) So it is very different. So they've been, it's been changing the last couple of years, the market changing in general, um, you know, people wanting to stay where they are, but a lot of people are really choosing to move up and out as quickly as they can. And so for me, my first market was a two-year contract. But then when I moved to my second market, it was a three-year contract. And I didn't stay the full thing. Um, I wasn't interested in, in sticking with news specifically, news journalism, local news specifically. And eventually, now I'm here at Freightwaves. <laughs> we are truly now in the business way. But for those uh, unaware of the work that goes into local news mm-hmm. in the day-to-day, what describe the average day like. What is a day in the life of a local news reporter? I think this is the biggest misconception is the day-to-day look because... Most people, they just see a person as we are sitting here talking, and you think that this is it. But even for Thomas, this is not all that he does in his day-to-day because he set this whole thing up. He got an interview, me, he wrote out the questions. He, you know, researched journalism questions and what the business is about. And so that's a lot like what I was doing as a local journalist and what I do here now um, at Freight Waves for my cold chain show. So it starts with, morning meetings, of course, um, going in, pitching stories that you've already thought of prior to this. If your news director, assignment manager likes those stories, then you've got the green go ahead to set up those interviews and come up with the questions that you need to do to fill what the story is. You know, what point are you trying to make? What point is your interview trying to make? And it's, that's all, that all mostly happens in one day. And then after you do the interview, after, and you're the one doing the camera work. I feel like I should mention that. (laughs) You are usually the one doing most of the camera work, unless you have a photographer. And we are not all blessed to have a photographer always on. So 
after you get all the video, after you get all the interviews done, you've got everything else that you need for the story, you got to go back and put it all together into that two-minute clip that you see that runs on the news. So you could have, I mean, some stories that I had to cover, we, we had an hour, two hours of footage that we had to go wow. through just to, you know, get it all down to a two-minute slot that works for the news station. I feel like that brings a story of when one of the local stations interviewed me. There was some recent trucking stuff, and mm -hmm. they wanted the an expert. So mm -hmm. they brought me on. Talked for 22 minutes. It took 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. Nope. And it was like, I was like, <laughs> how much of this are you going to use? It's like, just a little bit. And yeah. then they put it together in packages. And uh, that's what I liked your point was where the story you're going to write on each day, you start and you have to almost, it's like going out fishing. Mm -hmm. Imagine you capture the fish, you clean it, you prep it, you cook it, you serve it, and then you're also waiting the table at the same time. Like that level of, uh, is amazing day in and day out. What were some of the, what are some of the challenges to doing that? Yeah, and I really like that analogy, you know, comparing it to a day of fishing because sometimes you get a bite and sometimes you don't at all. And so on those days that you, can't find the interview, something falls through, you are scrambling to make something else work. You know, you are asking anybody to, to come on and just give you 10 minutes of their time to get this interview just so you can piece together something. And so that's probably the number one issue I think most people would talk about is, you know, truly trying to find somebody to interview, somebody to say yes. Um, I worked through the COVID-19 pandemic towards the beginning of, you know, most of the first year of it. And when everything was going haywire and schools were closing down and hospitals were at capacity and we had no idea what this was going to turn into. And I worked during the presidential election. I worked during all of the civil injustice, you know, situations that were happening throughout the United States. And just the fact that you have to be on your toes every single day, which I personally enjoy. I know you enjoy that too. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, when something falls through, you just have to pick up the pieces and run to something else. And that's probably the number one most frustrating thing, um, toughest thing to, to get past most of those days. Well, I remember you told me a story a few weeks ago. Uh, a colleague of yours mm -hmm. was starved for stories. So she decided to turn on a scanner. She had like an app or something. So every time a call would go, uh, oh, she yeah. like, oh, was, could, could I report on this? Like, does it get that competitive to have your slot show up? Is there pressure to have to show up on the news? Yeah. So the funny thing about that, um, and I don't think many people really know this either, is that every news station, of course, has all sorts of police scanners. So anybody at any time is listening and trying to hear what stories are happening. And we actually had at my last station, we had a photographer who took so much initiative that he put a, a scanner in his own work car so that he could go out when he heard things and um, go take care of some stories. He'd call the station. He'd say, hey, I heard that this is happening. I think this could be something. I'm going to go run to it. You know, always being the first usually to those scenes, which looks great for him, looks great for the station, all the above. But when you have a five o'clock deadline, it is five o'clock. It's not 5.01. It's not five and 30 seconds. It is Five o'clock, everything has to be done at least 10, 15 minutes prior to that. And, you know, in the business, we call that making slot. And if you miss slot, uh -oh. 
it's <laughs> <laughs> all hell breaks loose. No. Do they get yelled they, at? Do yeah. you get yelled at if you miss slot? Are they just like, do they throw things or what um, happens if you miss? I think every station is probably a bit <laughs> different, but that's what having a good producer is about. Somebody who can move things around and uh, fill that time when necessary, when a computer doesn't work and the reporter is out there or a camera isn't turning on and they need at least a couple extra seconds just to get things rolling because that has happened a number of times. Pure chaos. That's one thing I like about the job, you know, getting to do this show, talking about supply chain. I came from operations. Uh, if you're watching this live, if you're viewing this or recording it a podcast, imagine there is a row of three cameras behind us. We have camera operators. We have an entire crew in the back of hardworking people that are putting this together right now. There's literally buttons on the control room. You can just switch around stuff. You know, it's a team effort. And so uh, I think that it's so fascinating for us to at least talk about the media side because Freight Waves itself uses media as a driver for the data we talk about. 100%. And kind of switching gears a little bit, you talked about how it can be difficult with local news because mm -hmm. you're dealing with emotionally charged subjects and, you know, things are happening. People aren't always the nicest. Moving into this role, doing business communication as well. What mm -hmm. are some of the things you've noticed? What are some of the big changes getting to move? Yeah, so there's this, there's a, a double, there's two sides to media. It's the people who are, who have the media and the other people who want the media, right? And so if you're, you know, someone who's working more in PR, you're trying to get your story out there. But as a news reporter, you're looking for the stories. And so, there's there's a different lingo there. There's a different conversation there. There's different writing involved. And what is written in a press release is not what's going to be written for a script on air. It's not what's going to be said on air. It's not what's going to be written in the online article necessarily or in a tweet because, you know, social media is all a part of this as well and all something that needs to be taken into account and what's part of our day to get the news out there. Um, it's, you know, communication-wise, I think... It's almost more conversational when you're working in, you, when you're the reporter, the journalist, trying to get something out there and, of course, trying to make that conversation to get the news. But, of course, the business side of thing is more business. People focus more on the, the technical issues, the, um, you know, the bullet points of what's happening and, and the, the who, what, when, where. And that's all what people need in a, you know, a journalist's report. However, we also need the, you know, why is it happening and who's feeling what about it? you know? And so it's more the people side of things that you have to worry about in journalism. And working in more of a, a business standpoint is not necessarily what you are looking for. And so that's uh, <laughs> they don't need all the W's. Uh, they yeah. just want to have like, you know, for an example for us. So let's say, uh, you know, we talked about earlier how you have to start your day when you're doing local news. You had to find the leads, go out, start, you know, it's the exact opposite for us. Yeah. We, we'll have folks reach out to us and literally they'll say, hey, I've got this person who seems like they're a fit. Would you like to have them on? So it's it's such a different experience and I'm not very, I'm still getting used to it. So they're like, well, what do you want to talk about? Oh, here's some topics we feel like or I'm going to put together some. And uh, I think it's so fascinating because I never would have thought you'd be in something where people want to come talk to you versus you're having to go out there and like, please talk. Really, because <laughs> there have been times where, um, you know, fun news lingo I'll teach everybody is it's man on street sound and we just call it MOS. And that's when you are on the street trying to interview anybody about something. You're going door to door, door knocking, just trying to get anybody to answer a question about whatever the story is that you're on for the day. And most of the time, I mean, you're lucky to get two people to say, yes, I agree to that. No, I disagree. And 
in one day and door knocking for two hours. Um, and most people just say, no, nobody wants to, who wants to talk to the news? <laughs> who wants to have a huge camera in their face and a microphone stuck up to them? It's nobody ever wants to talk to the news, but it's interesting because, because this isn't such a, I, I don't want to say serious because absolutely this is a serious business in general and, and we're all working with serious situations, but it's just, there's more freedom, I guess, working on this side of news and, and journalism here at Freight Wave so much so is um, people want to talk about their jobs. They want to talk about the supply chain and what is happening to them, what they're experiencing. I think maybe it's because they know that they, they, they feel that they can actually give their opinion, their own opinion, and that it's theirs to give versus, you know, people have this, this whole view on local media and, you know, network media as well, that they have their own agendas and there's no agenda here. (laughs) (laughs) There's no gotchas here. There's no gotchas here. I think, especially with supply chain, talking about the supply chain media, uh, first off, we can't really do gotchas because a lot of what we're doing is trying to not only promote knowledge, but Mm -hmm. promote, you know, it wouldn't make sense to say, hey, person who I'd like to talk to you later. Ah, I got you. Your quarterly earnings are doomed now. <laughs> you know, but uh, I think that's the most fascinating part is, like you mentioned, how willing people are are to come talk to you mm. and at least like have these conversations. And then how excited people are. Like you talk to people in warehouses, you talk to the PRs from trucking companies, like they haven't had to deal with some of the regular traditional legacy media people because people didn't pay attention until the pandemic. Absolutely. No one was like Mr. Warehouse person or Mr. You know, we... And it's my favorite thing getting somebody who isn't familiar necessarily with the work of, of journalists or news journalists to get them on camera. I, I just, I always think it's a fun experience because I'm like, this is your chance to say whatever you want. Say whatever you want on camera. Express yourself, the things that you're passionate about. Um, I always think it's fun just because I'm like, this isn't what you do every day. It's what I do every day. It's not what you do every day. So I think it's always a fun experience for somebody new when they get on the show. So let's say you start. We finally started media. This was an example of myself too. I literally was operations. So I was the guy who fixed things. Mm -hmm. And then now it says, we're going to convert, conduct an interview. And, And prior to the show, you mentioned that you know, you actually went to, you did some interview competitions or you, you did some stuff involved <laughs> how to interview for me as well as the interviewer. What were some of the cool things you learned uh, on the art of interviewing? Oh, yeah. So uh, Thomas is talking about my work in high school. <laughs> I was a part of the Business Professionals of America in high school, BPA, as we like to call it. And um, we had a, it, it's this Business Professionals of America, this entire association. And most people in my class, you know, to go to our competition that we had, um, we go into states, we went to nationals, but most people in the class made like a business plan or created a fake business to start for this competition, right? Well, of course, I chose interview skills. (laughs) (laughs) I chose to be interviewed. And what really goes into that as what I thought was like, you know, my top skill that I could win at. And so I guess it worked. I did go to States and then I did end up going to nationals, which is what um, Thomas is talking about, which is so funny back in 2013. We had an image somewhere. We forgot to upload it to the G drive. That's another media skill, by the way. If you're ever doing the interview, make sure you put your assets in the correct drive. <laughs> so sorry, folks. Well, Sydney will have to share it on LinkedIn or something. But, but. I've got a, it's a photo <laughs> of me with this blazer on and this little medal. And then I'm holding a trophy for second place at States. And it's the funniest thing. But what went into it, which it's funny because my mom thinks it's hilarious that I actually won something for interview skills. And it's because she doesn't think it's really something to like 
win at, I guess. Which is funny, but it is because some people are bad at interviews. Some people are bad at giving interviews. Some people are bad at, you know, being interviewed. There's a lot that goes into it. And so the resume behind it, that's all part of it. The cover letter, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to wear, how you're supposed to sit. You're supposed to use your hands too much. (laughs) How much hands to use? (laughs) How much hands? It's usually, you're supposed to keep them down here for the most part. (laughs) I keep tossing mine up and you keep seeing them when I talk, just me, but... (laughs) Well, so we're, this is also a, a, a work in progress of how how to conduct an interview. We're going interviewception right now. Interview yeah. within an interview. Uh, you know, talking about that theme of learning to be an interviewer or how to give good sound bites. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for folks who are interested in coming on the shows in freight ways or haven't had media training before, is there anything you're supposed to do? Like, do you have to put them in little snippets for sound bites? Am I supposed to speak a certain way? Were there anything as you were in journalism that they recommended? Uh, that you would tell folks before you gave them the camera? Absolutely. So that's a really good question, especially if we have anybody who's going to be doing interviews with maybe some of our people, and they'd like to know. And it is nice because some people, of course, you know, they could give a run-on sentence for 30 seconds. Me. Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's other people who are like, I know I'm supposed to only talk in short, you know, sentences, and it's only supposed to be five seconds, 10 seconds long. And so they're like, yes, this was great. And then this is what I did about it. And that's it. And you're like, that is nice, because that's probably, you know, the length of what anybody in news, anybody in journalism would use. But you got to put some, some feeling behind that, you know, some true passion behind it. And so what I've noticed is that a couple of things. One, do not think about it so much. You're supposed, the, the point of an interview, the point of, you know, being in journalism and, and being in front of the camera is you're supposed to be having a conversation. It's supposed to be easy. You're supposed to answer the way you normally would and, and not necessarily think about it so much. And you'd, believe, you'd be surprised at how tough that is for a lot of people between, I mean, senators, uh, anybody in government that I've interviewed, to store owners, the everyday, you know, civilian, just person, man on the street. You know, everybody has something different that I think is is tougher than when they're doing interviews. And the number one thing that I just always told people was, it's going to be so easy. We're just having a conversation. I'll use, you know, whatever you tell me. And if you don't talk to me for 30 minutes straight, that would be great. <laughs> I was the one who talked for 30 minutes straight. Uh, shout out to one of the local networks who still has my footage somewhere. Yes. But, uh, you know, I think that's such an interesting thing because a lot of folks do not give you that preparation. And I've interviewed a few people as well. You know, we tell them, be authentic. Mm-hmm. Try exactly. to sound authentic. You can't always be, dire- be directionally correct and authentic right. are the two biggest things. But... That brevity is what's so fascinating because what you would do afterwards, if you got my set, you would literally be looking through and say, please let there be a pause so I could. Yes, 100%. And, and that all goes into the editing of this as well because if there's this run on sentence and I'm, I just have to cut it wherever I think I can, you know, it even sounds odd sometimes just when you're going through the report. And um, kind of on, on the same point of that is another thing that I think maybe in this in this specific industry talking about, you know, the supply chain and logistics world that I've noticed is everybody wants to talk so technical. Everybody wants to use the biggest words that they know. And personally, I don't always understand what they're saying. And so, and especially if I'm reading it versus, you know, I'm hearing it, there's different inflection, there's different, you know, things that you can cue in to to context clues. But I always, you know, in in journalism and news journalism, they tell you to, they tell you to speak stupid. They tell you to talk as 
simple as you possibly can. And that's, that's what works best. And so when I'm interviewing people, I'm always like, can you break that down? Can you break it down any further? Because everyone has to understand it. And I do think in this industry, more people will understand, of course, all that technical talk. I don't necessarily understand it all the time. But if I can break it down myself, and you know, in my newsletters, that's mostly what I try to do is, is break it down so that everybody can understand it and read it easily. Um, I think that's best. You know, you don't always have to use the longest most don't need the NBA gibber. Yeah. Yeah. The the gibberish. Speaking of newsletters, speaking of media, mm-hmm. how can folks check out your stuff, your content? Where are you located at? Absolutely. So running on ice, the newsletter and the podcast and show. It airs, the show airs on Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And then on Wednesdays and Fridays is when my newsletter goes out. You can find it at FreightWaves.com. You can subscribe to it and you can follow it on YouTube. You can follow the podcast on Spotify. And then you can follow me on LinkedIn and you can request to be on my show because I would love to have more people to interview. And it'll be at F3. Uh, You're going to be headlining F3 with Kaylee, right? Oh, yes. Kaylee and I are going to be hosting the F3 Freight Festival coming up in November, November 1st through the 3rd. It's going to be a great time. Um, You're going to be here in Chattanooga, which I'm not from the area and I have fallen in love. I've been here for almost four years now and there's I mean, the food scene, that's what gets me. Do it for the food, do it for the axes. Well, folks, (laughs) that's going to be a wrap for today. Sydney, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, You can catch us Tuesdays, 1 p.m., loaded and rolling. We did it live today. We'll probably do it live next week. Stay tuned.